0: to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. on this Tuesday night, February the 18th in the year 2020. Okay, we are back. To continue our review of the Netflix documentary "Who Killed Malcolm X," which is a film by Black filmmaker, historian, activist, and investigative journalist Abdul Abdul Rahman Mohammed. Tonight we will be discussing episode number two, which is titled "Straight Man in a Crooked Game." And in responding to some questions I had gotten on social media about our last broadcast, which was last week sometime, um, I would have liked to done these reviews night after night after night, but wasn't able to cause us some things that came up, some good things that came up um, that took my time away from being able to host um, the um, reviews on successive nights. But we are back tonight with episode 2 again this is the Netflix documentary Who Killed Malcolm X and last week um you know I had shared some things uh, and, and I started to remember some more uh, watching that film now I did mention last week that a lot of people well I shouldn't say a lot of people but let's just say some people have been expressing some concern about this film Um, And I'm not just talking about people complaining um, without any cause or just trying to tear the film down from whatever perspective, but I do want to share some of that. And I also will start posting and I'll have to go back and post some stuff related to this documentary. Um, For example, there is an author um, well, first, let me give a shout out to Christopher Marshall, who is um, a Facebook friend, a person I come across on Facebook who shares good information and, you know, hosts good conversations and threads on his Facebook profile. But Christopher Marshall shared a couple of things with me that gave me more insight into the nation of Islam, more insight into Elijah Muhammad. And he shared a um, documentary because I had asked a question about, you know, talking about documentaries, a documentary that I would like to see something that just crossed my mind the other night is who killed or who disappeared Wallace Fard or, or Fard Muhammad. And the man was known by many different names, but he's the one who founded the nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad was one of his students. And I was not aware of all of that because I wasn't really interested in studying the Nation of Islam. I, you know, I was drawn, am drawn towards Malcolm X, drawn towards the Black Panther Party, drawn towards um, here in North Carolina the Black Guard, which was led by uh, Mister Williamson uh, here, him and his wife Mabel Williamson. Um, I'm forgetting, I'm getting a brain fart. I can't think of his name. Um, right off the bat, uh, actually have a clip that I had played earlier today. Um, I just can't think of his name right now, so y'all forgive me for that. But he started Robert Williams, Robert F. Williams, Negroes with Guns. Another good documentary uh, people should check out. Maybe we'll do a review of that one uh, sometime in in the future. Um, that's another documentary that you can find on YouTube that I think is worth um the watch. But Christopher Marshall shared the um C SPAN video with me um the other night. It's it's not very long. It's not a documentary, but it's like um the author of the book, The Messenger, um The Messenger, the Rise and Fall of Elijah Mohammed I can't remember Mr. Evans' first name right now, but we also uh, linked to an article. We linked to that video in tonight's program description, but we also linked to an article that was written by this author who's being critical of this Netflix film and for good reason. Carl Evans, Carl with a K um, is his name and Evans with two Zs on the end. So that's K-A-R-L-E. E-V-A-N-Z-Z, Carl Evans, and he wrote the book, The Messenger, The Rise and Fall of Elijah Muhammad, Um, C-SPAN hosted him some time ago, it looked like it was done during the 70s, could have been during the 80s, um, based off of Mr. Evans' attire at the time, but he talks, you know, he just talks about things that are in his book, and very, very interesting, and it just gave me more insight into the nation of Islam's founding into Elijah Muhammad and also um his uh, Malcolm X's assassination um Elijah Muhammad later becoming a recluse and also and, and I think it's very important to to note that or I'm just sharing that people that i know have an affinity for the nation of islam even if they're not in the nation of islam but some people who i know are in the nation of islam when i hear them talking it's just like the same thing i shared on that first documentary uh review is they like to play the old clips of malcolm x when he was in the nation of islam talking about the white man is the devil and and all that stuff and as he would always say you know um Elijah Muhammad teaches us thus and thus. But after he had a, after he left the nation of Islam, went on his spiritual journey to Mecca, uh, which is in Saudi Arabia, uh, converted to Sunni Islam. um, And, you know, he started changing his views. He, He started saying, I'm not a racist. I'm not, or at the time they was using the word, I hardly hear anybody using the word racialist. But he said, I'm not a racialist. Everything I said before um was not my own thinking but what I was taught and what have you. But now, so we have people who'll share them old clips of Malcolm X and and then it doesn't give the person who may not know context that Malcolm changed his views. You know, he, he was constantly evolving, uh since he came out of prison he was evolving. Um his time in the nation of Islam was not you know his late his last you know frame of mind or or thought or what he was involved in in the way that he thought about or his world view I should say um but you know I did not know Elijah Muhammad also started changing his views and that came clear in um that span video as Mr. Evans talked about when Elijah Muhammad after the murder of Malcolm X he kind of became a recluse um, and then after his wife died, he, he you know, further became uh, withdrawn from the rest of the world. And we could speculate on some of that being, you know, related to obviously his wife dying, but also the murder of Malcolm X. I, I kind of feel like he has some guilt about that, but he also started changing his views on on on, um you know, the different races and and so it's very I don't want to give it away but you know because that's not what I'm here tonight if you want to check that out I'm going to link it up at the bottom of the program description for every program we do reviewing the different episodes of this Netflix documentary but I'm glad that Christopher Marshall shared that with me because I didn't know a lot of this stuff and it gives me more insight um because obviously I'm a black man in America um and even when I was, well, I, I was at predominantly black schools all the way up to middle school, but we didn't get into history. I don't even think I took a history course in middle school um, at Winterhalter uh, Middle School in in Detroit. I don't recall getting any history classes till I was in high school. Um, I may have, I can't recall social studies, what we were reading uh, when I was, Uh, in junior high but once I got to high school is when you know we got into history and obviously in a predominantly white school I wasn't going to be taught none of this and none and but even in predominantly black schools you know um I don't think that they're teaching in depth what we call black history with this being black history month and all but you know um we should be learning as much as we can about as many things as as possible that's useful and constructive. Um, so I do agree with the people who promote um, Black History 365, but I wouldn't just limit myself to Black History, all of world history. You know, um, I feel should be studied for those who are interested in in such things. But also, um, Mr. Evans wrote um, a blog post, and I linked to it. I'm going to have to follow. Let me go ahead and follow his his blog while I'm here. Okay, let me follow it. All right, good. But he wrote again. He's the author of that book, The Messenger about um, the rise and fall of Elijah Muhammad, but um, he is very disturbed by this documentary that we've been reviewing, you know, tonight just being a second installation. But he says the title of a post that he made six days ago says Netflix nonsense about Norman Butler, one of the three men who killed Malcolm X and so again you know and and I'm guilty of this just as anybody else oftentimes we'll hear something new and you know we will look at the title assigned to the person like this documentary maker even though this was his first film but, um, you know, activists, uh, investigative journalists, you know, we don't we be like, oh, this man really did his research. And, and but, you know, people can do something without malice, not saying that he meant to. But sometimes we get things wrong because we are not aware of all the information. But according to Mr. Carl Evans, he tried to share with the producer. Well, he did share with the producers some of the stuff that they got wrong and see this goes along with some of the criticism that I've been seeing related to the film. Um with some great commentary from people I'm connected to on on social media. You know, this other person, I can't recall his name right now, but he was a member of the New Jersey Mosque. And um, you know, he knew he knew a, a person who they said was connected to that. Uh, to the assassination of Malcolm X, but some of the retaliation uh, by members of the black community um, in the years that followed. And he was writing about that. So, you know, he was also saying, you know, this documentary doesn't gets a lot of stuff wrong and it's leaving a lot of stuff out, you know? And, and so, you know, uh, we should take things with a grain of salt because I was posting when I had read some stuff about the documentary that was being written about this particular documentary, I was like, wow, it seems or it appears that one of the men had a strong alibi and had nothing to do with it, and yet he spent all that time in prison for the heinous crime of murdering Malcolm X And, you know, he didn't do it. It seems like he had a strong alibi. But Mr. Carl Evans in that blog post that you should go read, I'll possibly read an excerpt of it. Um, He's saying that, no, that dude was there. He's in the photographs. He was sitting right there in the front row. Um, he's seen in the photographs, and no, uh, you can try to claim that's just somebody who looked like him or his doppelganger, but no, that was him. Um, you know, other people have lied and what have you. So as we review this documentary, I think it's important that we keep in keep in mind that everybody does not agree, and there are some people disputing some stuff. And lastly, before we get into the documentary, uh, um, the part two of it is that we have a new program on Black Talk Radio that comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays at, at, at what 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I, I'm the sound engineer. Um, I do most of the sound engineering, but not all of the sound engineering that you hear um, on different um, broadcasts here on Black Talk Radio Network. But if it comes across this station uh, live, this particular our main station black talk radio i'm usually the one who's doing the sound engineering and so it's a program uh titled men money and food and the two ladies that hosted are writers they you know they belong to a writer's group um you know and they had changed the title because i'm a writer too and i suggested that they change the name from money no, from me and food and money to me and money and food because me and money and food just flows better. And, and you know, so they, cha- so they changed it. But as I was interviewing her, she sent me, you know, a program synopsis to, because I ask questions, I screen people now um, so that we don't get people coming on here with some craziness and some stuff that's just too far out left field or some things that can cause us Uh, Problems in losing our nonprofit status. So, you know, um, I talked to her for about an hour and a half, you know, uh, most of it about the program. But then I told her, you know, um, I'm doing this review on Malcolm X, that documentary that's on Netflix, and she had watched it. So she started sharing her thoughts with me. And one thing that she said was that, she didn't like it, not so much because of the things that I shared from from people uh, who's written about, you know, uh, the characters involved here, um, the main people involved here, not characters because it's not fiction, but the people involved um, in the Nation of Islam, involved in Malcolm X's life, involved in his, his death, and what have you. Hers was from more of a writer's perspective of production and how she was saying that you could tell that it was uh, Mr. Mohammed's first film. This is his first documentary film. And she was taking issue with Henry Louis Gates. Now, I'm not sure if Henry Louis Gates is executive producer or not. I did not watch the credits, but I have no reason to believe that she's incorrect. Um, But she was saying, you know, that Henry Louis Gates has been making these different documentaries all this time. And if he was going to be part of this project as an executive producer or producer or whatever, being that this was this brother's first documentary film, that Gates should have helped him out with structuring it. Because she said that, you know, it just didn't follow it didn't follow well a linear timeline, you know that it was jumping all over the place and what. And again, I don't, we I've only watched the first episode. I'm watching these episodes as I listen to them. I'm watching it, with y'all hearing it over the radio. But for my first time, I, you know I don't pre watch them or anything. I'm taking notes um, to share my thoughts during the discussion part uh, with you, um, but. I think you know looking at, looking at this I'm a reserved comment on whether or not it's jumbled or disjointed or 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 as she expressed um and you know I'll judge for myself but I I hadn't heard anyone else say what she said spe- you know speaking from a technical perspective of writing script writing um and you know producing films especially a documentary and so, um, you know, I thought I would share that with you all um before we get into this review um and one last one last personal note as I was sharing, you know, um the first time I heard of Malcolm X was when I lived in Detroit, I lived in Detroit from the age of two years old until I was just about to turn thirteen that summer. Uh, before I would turn thirteen, I believe it was seventy nine, and uh, we moved back to North Carolina. My my uh, my family did, and um, but I the first time I heard of Malcolm X was he had a mosque that was just a couple of blocks from Winterhalter Middle School where I went to school in Detroit. Um, it was probably just two blocks up on the same street. Yeah, because I'm getting a picture in my mind. It was in the same street, although I lived in the opposite direction and rarely went that way. Um, But that's the first time I heard because somebody had told me that Malcolm X had founded that temple or that mosque uh, that was on that road. I can't remember the name of the street. Um, But anyway, then uh, last night I had another memory return to me. And I remember, again, on that same block that I went to middle school, um, about a house, it was a house, it was a street, and then on the next street was a big park. And I do remember that my mom, who was in her, probably in her late 20s at the time, probably about 28, 29, if not early 30s, um, but she was you know dating this guy she was still fairly young but you know she was dating this guy she had me when she was 18 um but i do recall have the memory of us this guy saying that he was gonna take us on this picnic at the park right and which was only a couple of blocks away from where we live a nice park and what have you but anyway um we get to the park and, you know, we see the women dressed in a typical style of dress that that Nation of Islam uh, women wear. And my mom was like, you said you was taking us to a picnic. This is a NOI meeting or whatever. And, and you know, um, you need to take me home. And we left and we left. And, and so, you know, I could have become a Muslim. I could have been a part of Malcolm X's. Uh, what was it? Muslim Inc. You know, and my mom had, had decided to abandon her Christian roots, although as in the Christian community, we call it backsliding when you out there in the world because my mom used to do modeling. Um, she was a backup singer for a band when we lived in, in, in Detroit. She was still a young woman. You know, she'd go to the club and, and all of that, get babysitters and go to the club. I remember all all of that, but she was like, oh, no, you're not going to convert me, you know, and, and, you know, she stopped seeing the guy. And so just, you know, things like that happen to us when we're very young, the experiences that we have. That if it had just went the other way, of how different your life might have been. You know, I just thought that was interesting. I don't mean to be wandering down, you know, uh, memory lane and what have you. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and get into the second episode of Who Killed Malcolm X. Um, This is a film by first time documentary maker Abdul Rahman Mohammed. And it is episode two, Straight Man. In a crooked game, and yes, we are taking calls if someone asked me on Facebook if we're taking calls, they had called in, but they didn't know if I was taking calls, but I was like, yes, after we play uh the episode, not gonna stop the episode or pause it or anything like that for commentary. that's why I'm taking notes um so we'll do that after we play the document document um please continue to support. Black Talk Media Project, we are a nonprofit. Any donations are tax deductible. People I imagine people be filing taxes soon, right? I was just talking to my cousin saying he hadn't one of my cousins saying he hadn't filed taxes in over 10 years. And um but he's about to, he still got all his W2s and what have you, but all donations to the Black Talk Media Project are tax deductible. We are a registered nonprofit here in North Carolina. Um, And um, the only way that we can continue to uh, operate and we've been around for we're in our 12th year is by the people funding it. Okay, because you don't see a bunch of advertisement and the little bit of advertisement. You see, we're not making no no, uh, large sums of money. Um, Sometimes nothing comes in. Most of the time, nothing comes in from any ads that we might display. But you don't hear. You know ads coming on during the broadcast and and stuff like that. Any stuff you hear is related to BTR community, our social media network that we set up. Um, we'd like to see some of the members become more active in there, and uh, we just had some new members join us as well. But um, you know the only reason we're around is because of you. And as Brother Dave, who will be coming back soon with Tando Radio Show. Um, as he used to say, you know, if you if you're gonna eat the fruit, you have to feed the roots. And so we aren't we're not taking money from the government or any other big organizations that will try to um uh, Uh, usurp our independence. We are totally listener and reader funded. As sometimes I post blogs and and what have you. All right. So let's get into Who Killed Malcolm X Film Study um, and Discussion. Uh, this is part two. This is titled Straight Men in a Crooked Game. just waiting on it to load up and um we'll definitely get started with it maybe here we go
1: minister Malcolm X
2: the ascendance that Malcolm had is like phenomenal I mean he's 1952 he's in prison and then several years later, he's the national spokesperson for the nation of Islam. We who have
1: had our eyes opened by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad.
3: Malcolm was becoming, in a way, a figure that transcended the nation of Islam. Hey,
1: everybody in Harlem is a Muslim.
3: But there were people who struggled with this meteoric rise of Malcolm X. Malcolm
4: had lust for power. He loved lust for television and the press. I think he's trying to use the messenger as a stepping stone to gain fame for himself.
5: There were people who had to start wondering if something happens to Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm becomes the leader, it's over for all of us.
6: Over the years, I realized I couldn't understand Malcolm's murder without understanding his rise and fall in the nation of Islam and his complex relationship with their messenger, Elijah Muhammad. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught me everything I know and made me everything I am. At first, it was like a father and a son. But there were some people who thought Malcolm was becoming too powerful and getting in the way. The most honorable and humble Elijah Muhammad. The question is, who were they? Were they given an order to kill him?
7: This is all kind of like a Rorschach test when you look at Malcolm's assassination. All of these contributing factors, and it's a kind of blur, and then people look at it and say, "What do you see?" And I see a lot of people who wanted Malcolm dead.
1: I'm thankful of my brother, Malcolm. Yes, sir. Uh, why, this is a real disciple. You're allowed to kill this person.
8: As the fruit of Islam, the Muslims consider themselves the fruit or product of American slavery, a fruit that contains the seed of the future black nation. The Muslims say that this elite secret army is to be used for defensive purposes. These are scenes of the fruit of Islam.
9: We were Muslim. We had a flag, the sun, the moon, the stars. We had a fight song. We are fighting for Islam, and we shall surely win with our Savior Allah, the universal king. We are united by his nation and called by his name. We would drill. We were able to do all of these things to inspire us. This is what the teachers of the Honorable Elijah
8: Muhammad did for us. The military unit meets every Sunday morning, the national meeting time at Muslim Mosque number 29. It undergoes intensive military training, including judo and karate.
10: The fruit is your manhood. And we were taught to fight now. There wasn't no doubt about that. We didn't take no stuff from nobody. We didn't carry no weapons. But we were taught to fight.
6: All three of the accused assassins were members of the FOI, or the Fruit of Islam, and that whole paramilitary structure. According to the government, there were two basic elements to the theory of the assassination of Malcolm X. Number one, there were three assassins and number two that the epicenter of the plot was mosque number seven in harlem talamage Hare was the only one that was captured at the scene and when he took the stand he told them that there were actually four other accomplices plus himself he said very clearly that the two other men being tried had nothing to do with it. He, he made that clear, but he wasn't believed. So this is the, the 1964 to 65 DA homicide book. And you see that they've entered the name of defendants, Talmadge Hayer, and then added in Butler and Johnson. OK. And then here's photographs of Hare in his hospital bed prisoner could not be photographed standing up by order of the, his doctor mm-hmm. because he's been shot in the leg. A very defiant look. Yeah, he is. He knows what kind of trouble he's in too. Yeah. Yep. Hayer saw himself as a loyal soldier who wanted to protect the nation of Islam even as he watched two apparently innocent brothers get convicted and sentenced to life. He knows he just threw his life away. Yeah. For 12 long years Talmadge Hare never revealed the identity of the four men who participated in the assassination of Malcolm X with him. In 1977, after Elijah Muhammad died and the pressures of the old NOI had lifted, he finally filed an affidavit in which he, for the first time, named the men he said were his actual accomplices. Benjamin Thomas, Leon Davis, William X, and someone named Wilbur or Kinley.
2: He finally gave me, and I have the affidavit here, he gave me a sworn affidavit giving the identities of the the four men who, with hair, uh, had done the job. They were all identified in great detail where they worked, what they looked like, where they lived, and so on. William Kunstler, the famous defense lawyer, tried to get the case reopened
6: to clear the names of the men sitting in jail, but the judge refused. No one went in search of any of these other men, and gradually their names were forgotten. And if those names had been real names to begin with, everyone knew that they would have been changed long ago to Muslim names. And those brothers would have disappeared into the larger nation of Islam. But Hayer's affidavit held a solid lead. Hayer said that all of the assassins came from the same mosque, and it wasn't the Harlem Mosque, as the police claimed.
2: Everybody in the group of assassins came from the Newark Mosque. They all were Jersey people. If these had been people from the Fruit of Islam in New York, everybody would have known them. But they were not, and that's why they got away with it, because they were people nobody knew.
11: Hey, Sean, good to see you, bro people used to call Nur the Mecca. This is the Mecca of the community. There's something special here about Nur It was the conviction, the fervor, the thunder, the demand for strength and love for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was overwhelming here in Nur Be thankful and grateful you're a Muslim and you're a believer that Allah has allowed us to hear this call Islam. Back in the early so days, old, right? the nation in Newark and other places, they were recruiting brothers from prison. So a lot of them came from the street, and the nation was cleaning them up now. I never seen so many men lined up in military formation. They had discipline and camaraderie. It just blew your mind. You know, I mean, there's no way you weren't going to be attracted to that.
4: Salam. Elijah Muhammad, he was talking to a people who were friendless. This man gave us dignity. You understand what I'm saying? You, You know, he gave us dignity. All of us were around the same age, 18, 19, 20. All of us used to be in the pool room together. All of us used to hustle together, you know. And then hearing that message turned our life around, and we all met back up in the temple. The nation blew up. It was just a dynamic time for us. We will start opening up businesses, you know, stake and takes, clothing businesses, you know, everywhere you look, you know, especially in Newark, on every main thoroughfare, Clinton Avenue, Springfield Avenue, Hawthorne Avenue, Chancellor Avenue, there were Muslim establishments. Newark belonged to us, right. and what Elijah Muhammad taught us, you know, it was the right time, in the right place, with the right people, you know, and we took it and we ran with it. The so-called American Negro
1: have to be re-educated. He have to be completely uh, made over again, and Islam gives him that qualification.
9: That he can feel power. The Ambi Lodge Muhammad taught us to stand up straight. You know, we were mighty, we were strong. He was the closest thing to God to me. From a little boy up until this day, in my wallet, I carry a photo of the Ambi Lodge Muhammad every day. I always have and uh, probably will until the day I die.
1: You have been Hi, you playmaster, that but, but you are a member of a powerful nation
9: of the We were taught that we were building a nation, that being black was something of pride. We were taught that Jesus was black, that the black man was the original man, original meaning the origin of all. From the black man came all other individuals.
5: They call him the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Prophet of
3: the Black Muslims. His movement comprises over 100,000 members, owning newspapers, offices, and temples all over America.
6: Elijah Muhammad was uh, one of the southern migrants during the period of what's called the Great Migration. Very poor. And he raises himself up out of the muck and the mire. And he builds a movement that preaches this message of black empowerment. Stop waiting for white people to do something for you. Better your condition yourself. Elijah Muhammad focused on the brothers and sisters, on the margins of society. Let Dr. King have those bougie Negroes in the church. And he painted a vision that we know we're catching this hell by this white devil now. But it's going to change. You follow me and you follow the teachings of Allah, and it's going to change, and this devil, he's going to get his. Trust me on that.
1: It became a strong, awesome movement. But it was strict. You had to study certain lessons, you had dietary laws. They tell you what to eat, how much you should sleep. Physically fit and healthy. Some people needed that structure. They needed that supervision in their life, and the nation was there.
3: A mild-mannered, asthmatic old man, he leads between a and 300,000 fanatically devoted
6: Muslims.
10: Elijah Muhammad didn't have any arrogance, no ego. He was humble and very serene. That was our royalty in Islam the royal family, like people have the Queen of England. their royal family. That's the British royal family. We have our own. I would stand in front and take a bullet for him. That's the way we were trained. It is because by nature they are
8: Islam people. Elijah Muhammad's word is law in 47 Muslim mosques and major cities across the United States.
6: They had to basically cut themselves off from all uh, avenues of the white man's world and, you know, his system, and their whole world became the nation. And it was a structure based solely on hear and obey. And it had a very rigid enforcement structure in place for those who got out of line. Elijah Muhammad, the people saw him almost as a God-type figure himself. The devotion they had towards him was absolute. They would die for him. And they would kill you for him.
1: The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches you and me the religion that God has given to him as the only cure for the evil the white man has brought here among us. And all of this teaching that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is doing among the black people in this country has been instrumental in producing a new type of people.
5: For 12 years, nobody represented the nation in the way that Malcolm X did. He was able to use his own life experience as a case study. And it was that kind of life where he was able to be a walking, living embodiment of what Islam could do. The
1: white man is tricking you.
5: Malcolm felt that the nation saved his life.
1: To have once been a criminal is no disgrace. To remain a criminal is the disgrace. I, I formerly was a criminal. That's right. I formerly was in prison. That's right. But since I've been following the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, I have been reformed, and that's more pleased.
12: The relationship between Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad was... Complicated.
1: The us.
12: I think on a personal level, um, Malcolm, of course, lost his father at a very young age. Malcolm's father was a target of white supremacists. He was found killed, run over by a, a streetcar. And Malcolm and his family believed it was the Ku Klux Klan, and they certainly had good reason to believe that. And so Malcolm grew up without a father, and his family kind of disintegrated. His mother was overwhelmed and was institutionalized. Malcolm was sent to a number of
6: foster homes, and he went to an all-white school. In his eighth-grade class, he's the only African-American in the picture. He was very smart. And he felt that he would make a great lawyer. But he had a teacher who told him, white people are not gonna hire you as a lawyer. He said, but you know what, Malcolm? You're good with your hands. Why don't you become a carpenter? That's a good job for, for a nigga. And something in Malcolm died at that point. He got into crime, selling drugs. He steered women for pimps.
2: He was a thug, what the brothers call a hood rat.
0: He was using drugs, running prostitutes, breaking into people's houses. That's what he was doing, because there was nothing that
9: gave him purpose in life that he could do something better.
6: He went to prison right before his 21st birthday. That's where he first heard about the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of
2: Islam. That's well, what I was in prison and I was an atheist. I didn't believe in anything. And one of my brothers told me about Islam. And one of the main things that I read about it that appealed to me was, in Islam, a uh, man is regarded as a human being. He's not measured by the color of his skin.
12: When he encountered Elijah Muhammad in prison, this... Clicked for him. I
2: studied Islam as a religion and its uh, connection with the flight or problem of Negroes in this
12: country. This theology made complete sense to Malcolm and he dove right in. He became a complete true believer.
7: Malcolm is paroled from prison August 7th, 1952. He goes to Chicago very early on and he meets up with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That's their first meeting.
6: Initially, it was the relationship of a father to a son. Elijah Muhammad represented salvation for him.
1: We have come to hear and to see the greatest and the wisest and most fearless black man in America today.
12: (laughs) Elijah Muhammad saw in Malcolm this level of enthusiasm in his embrace of the teachings of, of the Nation of Islam.
1: The
12: is Elijah kind of took Malcolm under his wing.
1: The most honorable and humble Elijah Muhammad.
9: Malcolm was the only minister that was allowed to drive the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's car. When he came to Chicago, he allowed him to drive his car. He gave him money. Elijah put his wife, Sister Betty, put her through nursing school. The honorable Elijah Muhammad paid for that.
6: He had it like that. Nobody else had it. Not even Elijah Muhammad's own children had it like
8: that.
10: John Elijah Muhammad's son, the one they call Captain Muhammad, he never liked Malcolm. I heard him say that Malcolm had more authority in his father's house than he had, and so he didn't like Malcolm much at all.
6: Malcolm was clearly everything that they were not, you know, Articulate, brilliant, a bona fide intellectual, you know. So they feared him from the beginning. They resented him and they feared him. Islam is a religion that militates for justice And all the signs point to the fact that regardless of who else may have been involved The men who carried out this crime called themselves Muslims That's very tough for me to accept as a Muslim very tough.
12: I was uh, a Muslim at the time. Accepting the honor of Elijah Muhammad as a messenger of God, I felt that as uh, a member of the uh, Fruit of Islam, the Nation of Islam, that for me to stand up in regards to what was taking place was the right thing to do.
6: After years behind bars, Talmadge Hare started to
12: openly regret his role in killing Malcolm. I can't change that uh, what has been done. I can only say that uh, I am deeply uh, sorry for my participation uh, in this. And I know there'll there'll be people who can never forgive me. But I pray, and in my prayers, I pray five times a day, and I ask Almighty God, Allah, to forgive me. And not only did he
6: come clean about his own role, he continued to agitate for the release of the two brothers who were serving time with him, who he said were innocent.
12: And uh, even during
10: the trial, I had stated myself that Norman Butler and Thomas Johnson were not involved in the killing of Malcolm X. And I would like to see the brothers exonerated.
6: Thomas Johnson and Norman Butler always maintained their innocence. They said their status as well-known adversaries of Malcolm would have made it impossible for them to get inside the Audubon ballroom that day.
3: All those people knew me. And if nothing else, they would have stopped me or searched me or, in any event, they would have known
13: that I was there.
11: What would have happened had you tried to get into the Audubon ballroom?
13: At that time, well, I would probably have to have at least two machine guns.
3: I wasn't on trial. The Nation of Islam was on trial. I was just a piece. A piece that no one cared about.
6: Asalaamu Alaikum. How are you? I have been reading about you for about forty years man believe it or not mm. and it's uh, I know it's been a long journey but you you look well brother please be to Allah. so when you was when you was uh, incarcerated how did the general prison population react to you you know because people love Malcolm.
3: if they thought I was guilty I'd been dead <laughs> this is prison you can't live in, twi- in prison for 20 years if people don't want you to mm-hmm.
6: And I can imagine the streets were probably, the streets knew that you were guilty of that.
3: Everybody in Harlem know. Everybody in the the neighborhood know that I didn't do it. Because if something had to be handled or dealt with or whatever, it was never done by the people from the place that it happened to. If this is going to happen in New York, the people wouldn't come from New York. In this case, you know they came from Newark.
8: New Jersey.
6: So, you know, I, mean, I always wanted to ask you, man, you know, because you was a fruit. I mean, and you was a soldier, and you know, you know, the devotion that you had and all the brothers had to the nation, right? When you got convicted, did you feel like the nation
3: abandoned you? Well, my children had to go to school. My, my, my wife at the time needed work or a job or needed uh, someone to look out for her financially, but they didn't look out for her. They didn't look out for the children. They should have took care of all that stuff. And they, you know, mm. just things just didn't happen the way that I think it should have happened if we were supposed to be all that we we, we were espousing or saying that we were about. Part of the ballad of the FOI is we are the fruit of FOI. In honor we stand, in honor we die. So where's the honor? No honor.
6: You let two innocent men go to jail.
3: Yeah, well, there it is.
6: Uh, well, let me ask you this. When did you learn the truth about who actually well, was involved was in that the, assassination? Well, no, no, we went to court. That's, okay, and, so when you guys went to court, yeah. you guys could talk in and the stuff pen, like that. Yeah. In the pen, So you guys were in the pen. And Talmadge hair he told you in the pen the, the, their names?
3: He didn't tell us the other people's names. Okay. He just told us it was for other people beside him. But... These guys, these these, maybe I should say that these guys who, who masqueraded as brothers, you know, two of the brothers were in prison for what they did, and they did nothing. If they if they say that they believe what they say they believed, and blah blah blah, why did they sit back quietly and let us do the time?
8: Among historians. It is universally accepted that Mr. Johnson and Mr. Butler had no role in Malcolm's killing. But the question is not simply the other four men who did kill Malcolm. Uh, The more historically crucial questions are who else uh, in Newark, in New York, and most essentially in Chicago, uh, were active participants in arranging malcolm's murder
3: the speaker here is an avowed criminal now reformed a 36 year old negro who refuses to use his last name
2: instead he calls himself
1: malcolm x
2: what is your real name malcolm x uh, is that your legal name as far as i'm concerned it's my legal name have you been to court to establish the story? I, I, I didn't have to go to court to be called Murphy or Jones or Smith. Would you mind telling me what your father's last name was? My father didn't know his last name. My father got his last name from his grandfather, and his grandfather got it from his grandfather, who got it from the slave master.
9: The real name. You never heard a man speak to the white man the way as strong and forceful as uh, Malcolm did.
2: You mean you you won't even tell me what your father's supposed last name was or gifted last name was? I never acknowledged it whatsoever.
5: Malcolm was like the guy that took on the bully, you know, in the school.
1: The man taught you to hate your hair. He taught you to hate your nose. He taught you to hate your mouth.
5: He was the guy that would say what needed to be said, whether you liked it or not.
1: No, white man is the greatest hate teacher that ever
10: It was probably the first time that a message was given to black people like that, especially black men. You can for yourself. His message made men. Our boys, really what happened was...
1: They call Mr. Muhammad a black supremacist because he teaches you and me not only that we're as good as the white man, but better than the white man. (laughs) Why, your skin looks like gold beside his skin.
12: For most of their lives, many black people had been taught to... Genuflect and uh, demonstrate deference and almost worship and wanting to lighten their skin, people wanting to straighten their hair. Malcolm came in there with a baseball bat.
1: It's the white man. He don't have to worry about us integrating with him. We don't want to be around that old pale thing. <laughs>
2: These homegrown Negro American Muslims are the strongest ideology is being taught in dozens of cities across the
7: nation. Malcolm comes out of prison in 1952. There's probably no more than several hundred people nationally who could really be counted on as active members of the Nation of Islam. Through Malcolm's participation and leadership in the group, that group grows into over 25,000 committed members.
1: Hey, everybody in Harlem is a Muslim.
7: He helps found temples in Los Angeles and Atlanta, uh, Boston, uh, Philadelphia, all
9: over the place.
1: We who have had our eyes opened by the honorable Elijah Muhammad.
9: Well, I can remember the mosque just steady getting bigger, longer. All the chairs would fill up, and then around the wall, down the steps. Then they later on put closed circuit. I mean, they would have speakers outside. It just grew and grew and grew.
1: You don't see Muslims accused of brutality. It's the white man that's losing people. It's the white man that's cracking skulls. It's the white man that's keeping violence upon top of violence on the Negro.
12: Even before he becomes a public figure, he registers on the radar of the FBI. There was this intense fear and paranoia of what a singular, charismatic, influential black leader could do if given a chance.
8: Malcolm X became a black
2: Muslim while serving a six-year prison term. Over the next 11 years, he rose in the ranks of Elijah Muhammad's movement. Many saw him as the logical successor to Elijah Muhammad himself. Elijah
5: Muhammad, he was a brilliant spiritual man, but he wasn't a gifted orator, and he didn't have the compelling delivery as a Malcolm did.
1: You
7: know that
5: Elijah Muhammad encourages
7: us toward racism.
5: So, when we think about the Nation of Islam, the person
7: who brands the Nation of Islam, it's not the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. It's not. It's Malcolm X. It is the
1: devil who leads you toward evil. And
7: Elijah Muhammad realizes both the benefits and dangers of this. And for a while, they coexist uneasily. But it's going to have to break apart. This was never going to have a happy ending.
6: Newark was such a stronghold of the nation of Islam back in the late 50s and early 60s. So much so that now you'll find that in the city of Newark, almost every black family has at least one Muslim in their family, if not, you know, an entire family being Muslim.
8: It's it's really amazing. I'm talking about
3: what we got a whole lot, too. Yes, We're begging you, don't turn away from your legacy of the army lies of
1: Muhammad.
6: But Newark, to me, has been for many, many years a just an abstraction.
3: We have a plan to build Masjid School in Newark,
6: New Jersey. Of all the great things that Newark is known for, its arts, its cultural life, you know, the idea that Newark is actually a a real city with real people. I mean, I hate to say it, but from my vantage point, the way I've read about Newark, it's where those killers came from. It's come off to me as a sort of like heart of darkness situation because, you know, these brutal killers may have come out of this city.
5: Even to this day, our city, Newark, has always lived under a certain stigma because of people's perception that Newark was involved in that. So the less people that know about it and the more that we can kind of keep it and, you know, isolated, quarantine, like, like, like you would do a virus. Yep. We're going to keep it contained yes, among absolutely. these people that know. Now, if it get out, it's nothing we can do about that, but we're not going to be the ones that are going to be, you know, going around advertising that, yeah, you know, the people came out of New Orleans. I- I've heard that even as young boys growing up people would say that on the streets people identifying folks from newark who participated in it these are things that you hear but uh you know like like
0: okay at this time i do need to take a station identification break we only have about let's see few let me see about Twenty more minutes left in the broadcast, so we're going to take a short break. Uh, if you like to uh, use the facilities, if you know what I mean, uh, now be a good time to do that. We'll take a two-minute uh, intermission. Man, I already then got like three pages of notes. I, I don't know if I'll be able to get through them all, but if you would like to share your thoughts, any comments, any questions. Um please give us a call at the conclusion of uh, the uh episode number two uh straight man in a crooked game. You can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Um you can also call us at let me find the toll-free number um uh, for those that may want to use that number. It is 9025 866 510 25 or 704-802-5056 to signal me that you want to make a comment, uh, hit the star key twice, I will uh, see you on the board and then we'll come to you, but hold off right now um, until we get to the conclusion, so uh, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News, my name is Scotty Reed. And I broadcast Black Talk Radio News, not on a regular schedule anymore. Um, I just do them as uh, I guess the spirit moves me or something comes up and I, I need to um, you know express my thoughts on something. Or if we have scheduled interviews, the only regular program I do is on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and that's New Abolitionist Radio. And we'll be back on the other side. Stay tuned. Uh, Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Uh,
2: The the power structure has successfully created uh, the image of the American Negro as someone with no confidence, no militancy. And uh, they had done this by giving him images of heroes that weren't truly militant or competent. And now here come Cassius, uh, the exact contrast of everything that uh, was representative of the Negro image. He said he was the greatest, uh, all of the odds were against him, he upset the odds makers, he won. He became victorious, he became the champ. They knew that as soon as uh, if people began to identify with Cassius, and the type of image he was creating, they were going to have trouble out of these Negroes because they'd have Negroes walking around the street saying, I'm the greatest, 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 greatest.
1: The police, the same way. They put their club upside your head and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court? Has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give it. my brothers and sisters we have to put a stop to this and it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves they attack the victim and then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him this is american justice this is american democracy
9: Like
5: my father would say, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't benefit any of us to push that narrative.
13: Well, let me ask you this. How do you think Malcolm is remembered in Newark today? You talk about Newark, you're talking about where culture and politics come together. Mm-hmm. And, and Malcolm's impact on the culture, on our people culturally, Newark is, 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 a, is a case study. Uh, of course, we got Shabazz High School, right? There a couple of institutions in the country named after malcolm but shabazz high school was the first you know so young folks are looking at who they need to study who they need to look up to and malcolm is, is as vibrant as anyone else that they're looking at you know brother
6: i mean you know maybe you can help me understand this because i mean you you're from here all right you're from newark you're from this area on the one hand they pay Homage and tribute to Malcolm. You see his image all over the place. You know what I mean? A high school is named after him. But there's definitely a sense that you get that this whole Malcolm thing is better
13: left uh undiscussed. I mean folks knew knew that the hit came out of Newark. That's that's very clear that the hit did come out of Newark. But in terms of who the actual players were with names and faces that they could put that put that to I, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't dare assume that that was that well-known.
6: Were you here in 1977, 78, when Haya signed the affidavit where he named I was, the killers? Yeah.
13: I was just coming into slam myself. Okay. Most folks did not know who these folks were who were still living or where they were. But that man laid out all of his accomplices. If any of them are alive, they should, they should be, they should be put through the process. Yeah, so how do we hold people accountable? Listen to me, I'm going to make it plain. There should have been outrage when Hare first dropped that affidavit. There wasn't. Locally, there's been a divide. Yeah, talk to me about that. There's been a divide within the Muslim community. You know, I remember when I first started doing work around Malcolm, I couldn't understand at that point why uh, I got a chilly response. It took me years to really figure out just how deep... The residual hostility was with some of the old heads that they had for men back then. I mean, it's, and, and even within their generation, there's a divide, you know, because he was loved and he was hated, the new, you know, and, and, and that's just real stuff.
4: Malcolm X was taught by the Elijah Muhammad, and he rose to world fame through the teachings and guidance of the Elijah Muhammad. The
6: minister of the Newark Mosque at that time, his name was James Shabazz, he really had a visceral hatred for Malcolm X. A lot of his hostility with Malcolm stemmed from the fact that he was jealous of Malcolm, the prominence he was receiving in the media, uh, the fact that Malcolm X was flying on planes and taking trains all over the country, and, uh, you know he was labeled something of a, you know, like Mr. Big Shot.
5: Malcolm had lust for foul, a lust for television and the press until he would do anything uh, to get himself out in the open. Minister James Chaval was not a fan of Malcolm. You know, he was one of those people that ultimately became a detractor because he also had fierce loyalty to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad.
1: Not only in Jersey, but throughout the hills of North America if they were to spirit teachings.
11: Minister James Shabazz, him and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, they did time in prison together. So they developed a personal relationship, and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad sent Minister James to Newark, where they established the first temple, number 25, right? Then Islam spread here in Newark. Because of Minister James, the unyielding love for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad The unyielding respect for our community and the word went out was we're going to to defend ourselves against anyone that comes against our community. That came from Minister James.
1: Malcolm X is going a little far now by trying to use the messenger as a stepping stone in order to gain a following or anything he can to gain fame for himself. They're, they're passing the basket to the crowd. and I, don't, I think everybody standing here should put one dollar in that basket. Sure, these are freedom dollars, brother. We're not asking you to give us the money to make us rich. We put up businesses. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad has set up more businesses than any black man in America.
6: The Nation of Islam at this time was making an incredible amount of money selling newspapers, selling bean pies, restaurants, whatever their businesses, their business empire,
7: The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, his empire encompasses clothing stores, barbershops, apartment houses, and dry cleaning facilities. With homes in Chicago and Arizona, Muhammad is reported to be a multi-millionaire.
6: The so-called royal family, or children of Elijah Muhammad, they were becoming wealthy off the nation. And while Malcolm was a true believer, it's very doubtful that Elijah Muhammad's children believed that he was some prophet sent by God. They saw it as a good racket.
13: The Muslim rank and file is a low-income group. They give a
7: generous amount of their salary to the movement. The money goes to Muslim headquarters in Illinois. They're making millions of dollars, right? And they're also paying no taxes on this because they're a religious organization. Sometimes they are taking in, in Chicago and New York, um, envelopes just full of cash, and no one is doing a real proper accounting of this.
6: Elijah Muhammad's children saw the Nation of Islam as their own personal cash cow. The Honorable
1: Elijah Muhammad has eliminated laziness.
6: He teaches us to be thrifty, channel our money that we earn in an intelligent direction. They knew Malcolm was honest. And they knew that if Malcolm ever saw the corruption that was taking place, that he would have uh, done away with it. We don't stand on the
5: corner now without a job. Malcolm never grabbed for money. I mean, even his honorarium, he would donate it back to the nation. So Malcolm wasn't about himself. He's trying to be, you know, as correct and upright as possible, but everything that's happening around him is just going every other direction other than, you know, the path that he wanted to take. Malcolm was a straight man in a crooked game. Muslim leaders answered directly to headquarters in Chicago,
8: where the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, a frail man of 68, runs the organization. Last year, the Muslims invested about $6 million in businesses and real estate, mostly in Illinois.
5: With people benefiting from the structure in Chicago, combined with Elijah Muhammad's health challenges at the time, they had to start wondering, if something happens to Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm becomes the leader, it's over for all
8: of us. For months preceding the assassination, the resentment that the top leadership of the Nation of Islam had towards Malcolm was explicitly broadcast. Uh, The signals, the public signals, were visible to anyone who was paying the slightest bit of attention. The FBI was listening to Elijah Muhammad and his top aides 24 hours a day prior to the killing. My belief is that the FBI should have known that the Nation of Islam was going to kill Malcolm. Keep this in
1: mind, the FBI has studied the Nation of Islam for decades. They know the mentality of the men, of the FOI in particular, and they know that certain things that you say or do can lead to brutality and sometimes even death. They know this. And so what the Bureau will basically do is knowing this, they're gonna incorporate various counterintelligence techniques that will help to facilitate the nation doing for the FBI, what the FBI couldn't do for itself. You know, they thought, hey, if we keep pushing this thing, the nation will take out
13: Malcolm X.
0: All right. So that's the conclusion of episode two, straight man in a crooked game. And, you know, just going back to, um, My conversation with um, the new host, uh, Jerry, um, what's her first name? Excuse me. Shut this off. Uh, Jerry was saying she's a writer, um, um, has a writer's group, and I can see what she's talking about, how you know, it's kind of jumping around and I could just tell that by, by my notes where earlier they were talking about one subject and then near the end, you know, uh, they're talking about that subject again when it all should have been kept together and, you know, but (laughs) not trying to be overly critical. Uh, this was this man's first documentary. Um, but I will share some of the criticism by the author and, and by the way the phone lines are open if anybody wants to ask a question or or share some commentary um 704-802-5056 hit the star key twice if you like to speak otherwise um you know you can. those who are on the line can just hang on on the line but um let me open up i think i closed it but let me let me go to my history right quick and open up that article by the author who really gave me some information I did not have before, but uh, he is very critical of this film. We um, The name Norman Butler uh, kept coming up as a person who was innocent. They kept saying those two other men were innocent and what have you. Um, but Mr. Carl Evans, who is the author of The Messenger, The Rise and Fall of Elijah Muhammad, in his C-SPAN um, talk, You know, when authors talk about their books, they have a a session or or what have you. But um, he talks about Norman Butler definitely being um, involved in the assassination of Malcolm X. So um, I'm going to read this from him. Uh, Let me see. How long is this? This is kind of real long. So I have linked to it. You can go read it for yourself. I'll just read the first few paragraphs. Um, Again, this is Netflix nonsense about Norman Butler, one of the three men who killed Malcolm X by Carl Evans. Um, Mr. Evans says, by now, many of you are aware of the Netflix series about the assassination of Malcolm X, or more specifically, who allegedly killed him. The series aims to identify who actually pulled the triggers as opposed to the far more troubling question of who wanted him dead and why. Some have asked why I wasn't in the series. I was asked by Shayla Harris, one of the African-Americans behind the camera, to be interviewed for it, but I declined. Why? Because when I asked her whether certain people would be interviewed, and the answer was what I expected, so I told her that I could not be a part of it. The people I referred to are responsible for some of the most despicable lies ever cast, on Malcolm X's legacy despite data I sent to Arc Media and I wonder who owns Arc Media. Let me just do a quick search on Arc Media. Uh, Arc Media is a LLC that is based in Brooklyn, um, New York. Let me see. I'll I'll definitely look that up um, a little later. Um, but anyway, it says, uh, despite that, I sent to ARC Media via Ms. Harris. They chose to go with the erroneous preposition that all of the assassins were from New Jersey and that Butler was framed. They conveniently show the footage of William Bradley fighting to free Hagan, but they omit the footage of Norman Butler at the scene. One of Marable's sources was none other than... Op- Abdur Rahman Mohammed, the person at the center of the Netflix series, Mohammed claims that his obsession with Malcolm X's murder changed the trajectory of my life. The truth is that his life had no trajectory. As far as anyone knows, he kind of fumbled his way through life until now. He has not written any books or lengthy articles about the assassination. He has only written one blog of note, and that was because a friend of his from Howard University led him to Bradley's whereabouts. Everything else in the series is based on my books and the book by Zach Kondo. In Mirable's biography of Malcolm X, Muhammad is cited as the source for Mirable's bogus assertion that Malcolm X had an intimate relationship with Sharon 6X Pool, a.k.a. Shabazz. When I asked Muhammad about this claim, he replied that Malcolm X fathered Sharon's child. This was, of course, a blatant lie, one that I brought to Mirable's attention long before publication, but which he printed anyway. In fact, Benjamin Goodman, a.k.a. Kareem, fathered a child by Sharon Poole 14 months after Malcolm X was assassinated. Once the lie was exposed, Marable's researcher named Kareem as his source. Yet there's no attribution to Kareem in Marable's book. So I'm going to leave it there. It's a pretty, pretty long article. Um. Again, by the author of the book, uh, Carl Evans, who is the author of the book, The Messenger, The Rise and Fall of Elijah Muhammad. So, you know, I always, as long as I've been on the radio, I've always told people don't take my word for anything, although I mostly focus on politics, but don't take my word for anything. Do your own research. You should never just accept uh, information from anyone without checking sources, without You know, uh, uh, checking other stuff that's written about the same subject and what happened. And then, you know, you you just uh, then make up your own mind and come to uh, your own reasoned conclusion. So I I, I just started, you know, from what I've been conversations I've been a part of or conversations I've been observing around this film, um, which led me, you know, to this blog, which led me to the C-SPAN video uh, featuring Carl Evans talking about uh, his book, um, and you know it's just good to get in these type of discussions. And it was, you know, um, I can understand though because of religion, and I'm not, I, and I separate religion from spirituality. Um, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I am a Christian, but I only attend church, and I'm not saying people shouldn't attend church. But I don't attend church. I haven't been to, I haven't participated in organized religion in over 20 years um, because of some bad experiences that I had, um, you know, in those churches. But it did not cause me to question my my faith um, because uh, too many miracles happened in my life for me to question my faith. But, you know, but I don't believe in religion. Um, I believe in spirituality and I believe it's up to each and every individual um to seek that path um for themselves. All right. So let me get into my notes. Man, I took a lot of notes. I'ma try to be fast. I'm gonna try to get this get this out, this information out without having to go over. Um it's like 10 21 Eastern time now. I don't plan on going past eleven. Um I don't see that anybody else has a question or comment. So I'll just go in into this and again, you know, as I was writing my notes I agree with Jerry, um, the host of men, money and food Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time here on the black talk radio network. But I do agree with her that this is kind of jumble. you know, the information that should have been kept together is, is sprinkled throughout the documentary. Now I never made a documentary, but you know, I'm leaning on her experience and her critique as a writer, but I can see what she's talking about just from taking notes. So, um, you know, and I may have mentioned this uh, before, but it it appears from the evidence and I don't think anybody can deny that Malcolm X made the NOI, the Nation of Islam, rise to prominence. Uh, They mentioned only 400 members prior to Malcolm X. 400 members, that's like, Man, that's that's um that's a small church, you know, small church. Uh, even though now we got these mega churches that seat thousands. Um, you know, I live right next door to a church. Um it probably only seat maybe 150, hundred and fifty, two hundred at the most. Um so you know, that's a couple of that that's that's a that's a, a nice size congregation, but it is it, it was nowhere close to as they mentioned in the documentary um, when Malcolm joined you know 25,000 the ranks swelled to 25,000 But I and, and I heard the white um, they were taking the audio from some white news commentary at the time and I say white because it was white news organization white man speaking but he said they were up to 300,000 you know and, and this is uh, after uh, Malcolm um, you know, who was a gifted orator, and you know, they join. And you know, when you look at any type of religion, that's why a lot of people, even no matter what religion you're talking about, even in Christianity, you know, people go tend to go to churches where they say, "Oh, that pastor really gave a good sermon," or you know, gifted orators. Um, many people are natural storytellers, and they're able to connect to the audience, and and thereby, you know, uh, uh, churches are able to grow, uh, secular organizations are able able to grow, and um, you know, religious organizations are able to grow. Um, so, you no, know, that was my first note. Uh, another thing that we heard sprinkled throughout was the jealousy, uh, the jealousy of, of, of Malcolm X, the haters. If you will, uh, people who had been in there before Malcolm, particularly the uh, guy who was at the New Jersey temple, um, really expressing hatred for Malcolm. So I'm just going to label them the haters, really jealous because he's being treated. And even by Elijah Muhammad's own children were hating on Malcolm because Elijah treated Malcolm more of a son than um, some of his sons were felt they were being treated so that run that's a thread that runs uh throughout is the jealousy the the haters and i mean really we have seen many many um i shouldn't say many many but i have observed quite a few organizations and uh formations that have Come Now, I mean, Black Panther Party, even though that was really agitated by the FBI, a lot of people don't know, uh, black FBI agents founded the Baltimore chapter of the Black Panther Party. But um, one of the tactics that the FBI was doing was causing uh, animosity between the members of the Black Panther Party, all of this infighting and stuff. And again, many of these people that was behind that were FBI informants. You know, uh, some of them agents. The way Eddie Conway, um, former political prisoner who's now part of the Real News Network, um, you know, he tells he he's told. I've heard him tell that story of how you know a lot of the FBI black FBI agents were in in the Panthers, uh, joined, infiltrated the Black Panthers, and you know, um, from different sources I've heard, and even from uh, the FBI's. Agents on mouth when they were in Malcolm X's house when he was suspended, like I talked about during the last um broadcast on this subject, where he was secretly, Malcolm was secretly recording the FBI and they was talking about how many you, we already got some agents um in there and we'd like you to be one. And of course, Malcolm was no sellout. Okay, he was no sellout. Um so Butler name kept coming up. Two innocent men. I put question marks by that um, because you know that's that's being disputed. Not only by the author of the messenger, by by some people I'm connected with um, on Facebook, who's been you know having conversations about this. Um, you know, and it was mentioned the Newark mosque, and I had read a long, a pretty long post by a person um who who came up in the new New York uh New Jersey, Newark mosque and he was talking about, you know, um saying how some of them dudes even got their heads cut off and, and what have you, but some of the stuff that was covered in the in the film as it relates to Malcolm. Now here's here's something that I that um stood out to me as well. Military appearances. They talked about the fruit of Islam that military appearance, but in my opinion, without much militancy, except for when it was black on black crime, but military appearance. When I was a young, young boy, because um, I was a boy, I, you know, this is before I, I turned 13 and we had come back to North Carolina. And i talked about it before I was involved in the gang life Um, Ask anybody from Detroit about YBI, which stands for Young Boys Incorporated, which was a drug dealing organization that I was recruited into as a preteen, you know, to stand, although I didn't stand on many corners, um, but um, I was part of like, you know, a recruiter. Um, just gang banging and and going in and taking over territories or whatnot. Man, they were recruiting kids to do this stuff, man. And um, but that's one of the things that they use to attract people. And, and you know, you ever heard heard the phrase how uh, everybody loves a man in a uniform and how good they look? Excuse me. When I was in the YBI as a preteen. One of the things that we thought was so cool was how they wore these all green Vietnam style. um, Like if you look at some of the old Vietnam movies, they don't have the camouflage type uniforms that they had when I was in the military, but they had the solid green. You know, they were solid green. Um, That's what the YBI wore. They wore those solid green coats. I even had one. Um, jackets or what have you, army fatigue or the army jacket, and and then these hats, these green hats and what have you, and and so again, you know, that was part of the recruiting, looking cool. Everybody loves a person in the uniform, and and that appears to be, um, you know, what some people were expressing in this film, what the attraction was to the Nation of Islam for men, uh, especially the fruit of Islam, because they were wearing uh, uniforms. Okay, and had this being referred to as soldiers and what have you, um, even though they never fought in a war. And when I say a war, I'm talking about a real battlefield um, between armies of nations, um, which unfortunately um, and thankfully, you know, I escaped from a war zone. Um, and when I say escape, I did my tour and got out that war zone with my life and limbs. Um, but Marcus Garvey as well, when I say military appearance without the militancy, reading about Marcus Garvey. And and then also, let me, let me just say this about because we were talking about me and a couple of other people were talking about Garvey and this person was being real critical of Marcus Garvey. Um, which I've been critical of some of the things he did. But this is, you know, this is even how I approach the Bible. I take what I can use, what agrees with my spirit or uh, agrees with 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 my intellect, and I just lead the rest. I mean, I treat a lot of people like that, um, you know, that are, are looked upon as leaders. And I'm not saying they're not leaders or whatever, but, you know, I don't blindly follow I don't blindly follow. I I did that when I was a kid, Um, even though I was forced into that game by way of, of, you know, terrorism, Um, you know, having to fight people every day and, and, you know, what they say, um, um, if you can't beat them, join them. And, you know, having to fight two, three people at a time, I got tired of that. Um, But Marcus Garvey had a big parade one time. And it, it was made up of a lot of actual soldiers who had returned from World War One, and they were in their uniforms. And then Marcus Garvey liked to dress up, you know, in a Napoleon style hat and European style uniforms um, and, and what have you. So that that seems to be um, something that's common um, with. Certain types of organizations and and even criminal organizations, as I talked about the YBI, but you know the thing, one of the things when I was reading about you know that parade and and all of those black people, black men who turned out for that parade who were returning from World War One, um, you know, um, had gotten actual military training and what, and I was like, man. He could have deployed them against the Klan. You know what I'm saying? They could have deployed them against the Klan. They could have set up like Robert F. Williams did here in North Carolina. He was a, a U.S. Army veteran, a Korean War veteran. And them guy, Monroe, North Carolina, ain't that far from, from where I am now. And you know how he had them digging foxholes, sandbags, doing military drills um you know going to doing weapons training and all of that they acted like a real army and they did um repel the Klan when the Klan used to just try to come through Monroe in the black community and shoot it up and whatnot where well, they was met with some return fire You know, and I've shared the story about my uncles and my grandfather on this very land that I'm on um, defending themselves. Now, they wasn't part of the Black Guard or nothing like that. Um, And um, that's kind of who first inspired my militancy was my own very uh family members, my uncles in and, and hearing stories about how you know we were able to hold on to the land because we weren't afraid they weren't afraid I should say of picking up the gun and firing back at these people when they tried to burn across in the yard in the middle of the night and possibly burn down the house and my uncles came out with guns blazing and what have you but you know again we have people who, who call themselves soldiers who dress up like soldiers and some of them might have actually had some military experience but the leadership ain't really about that life They wasn't about that life like um, Robert F. Williams who would later become the first I think president of uh, what is it the um, Republic of New Africa um, but he was in the NAACP but then um you know got kicked out and then that's when he started the black guard then got set up and had to flee the country and then you know also started um the help found the republic of new africa um so you know it's it, it just it's just you know to me it's sad it's sad that a lot of this stuff was just for show it was a lot a lot of we going to show and act like we tough, but you know, we ain't really about that life. And that stood out to me. That really stood out to me. And it come, I didn't know Malcolm founded the LA mosque where those eight Muslims were murdered in the mosque by LA police. And then Malcolm wanted to retaliate and he was prohibited from retaliating by Elijah Muhammad. Um, so, you know, that really, really stood out, out to me, the appeal of a uniform but then you know you you putting out there this military front but you ain't militant you ain't really militant and that I saw that with Garvey as well okay um so anyway moving on I talked about the importance of black pride which um attracted a lot of people to the nation of islam and and that's a valid you know thing to be teaching especially in a racist um, nation that the entire media, the dominant media and what have you, has, has always denigrated, uh, made caricatures of, of black people, and and you know uh, some you get exposed to something. Um, over and over and over, you start to believe the propaganda. And, and so, you know, that was a good thing that the Nation of Islam was doing, but they weren't the only ones that was doing it. But what really stuck out to me, and, you know, I had even talked to my next door cousin, because sometimes he listens to Minister Farrakhan's stuff, and he'll, you know, share some stuff with me, or or what have you. But, you know, Jesus... Nation of Islam teaching Jesus was black. And so my question is, then why is there so much hostility towards black Christians then? And animosity towards Dr. King. If you're teaching that Jesus was black, and like I was telling somebody else, um, the oldest church, Christian church in the world is in Ethiopia, black people, and what have you, then why all the animosity? Why all the animosity? But of course, they were being taught that that's the white man's religion. Well, if it's the white man's religion, then why you even got Jesus coming out your mouth? Okay? And then Dr. King, it it was not, he was only nonviolent to the extent of these public demonstrations, which were mostly done by children, high school students, college students, who... And they did not have, you know, the arms and what had, but it was a tactic. It was a tactic to be caught on film and broadcast to the world of uh, how brutal and vicious the uh 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 these white terrorists were, and how the U.S. government was allowing it. It was to put the U.S. government in the world uh, spotlight in front of the world of being vicious, brutal, barbaric. People okay, but Dr. King believed in self defense, that's why he had those guns, that's why he had bodyguards. In his very last march, March Against Fear, some of the more militant uh brothers who had actually come back from Vietnam, I think this was when was the March Against Fear? Was it '68, I'm not sure, but. They, after the person who originally started the march, I think it was in Tennessee, um, had gotten shot. He was going to march from wherever to the Capitol to demand voting rights. And he had been ambushed by somebody hiding in the bushes. Then Dr. King agreed to let these brothers with their rifles, uh, you know, go on point and beat the brush and make sure there wasn't no terrorists hiding in the bushes to try to ambush uh, somebody. But then you we you know we talk about why we can't have black unity well that's that's one of the reasons we want to denigrate other people's beliefs. we want to mischaracterize and tell outright lies about them. but I, I'm saying that's hypocritical to be preaching from the Bible, which I've heard Farrakhan do, talk about some scripture, and then to be teaching Jesus was black. But then you are talking about that's the white man's religion, and you attacking black Christians who have been who who have been most militant when they freed black people from slavery by joining the U.S. Army in the Civil War. What do you think they was out there turning the other cheek, or do you think they was out there as a line from um, one of uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, movies, The Hateful Eight? Uh, where um, um, one of the black character, the black major, um, his character, uh, Samuel Jackson's character, said, "You know, I joined the war to put crackers in the ground by any means necessary. You know, beat them, drown them, shoot them, set them on fire, drop a big old rock on their head. That's what I joined the military to do. That's what I joined the army to do. So." You know, even to this day, you know, I see people on Facebook and I try to disengage them and I'll even I might stay friends with them. And when I say friends, I mean it in the context of Facebook, not that I actually met you or know you or whatnot, but that's what they call it. Friend requests where I will stay friends with them, but I put them on mute because I don't want to I don't want to hear your black Christian bashing. I don't want to hear you. Um, how should I put it? Um Insincerely bashing people when apparently you don't know nothing about the history of them and, and what have you, but you know, just putting out these stereotypes and what have you. So that was kind of one of the things I wrote down. I'm gonna have to speed up here. Let me check the board. Um uh, I'm gonna have to speed up because I got like three pages. You know what? Um I may just pick up on my notes on the next at the beginning of the next broadcast um what's tomorrow Wednesday I do want to have to check my schedule and see what's up for Wednesday but I'll post on Black Talk Radio Network when the next broadcast will be um but yeah the black pride thing you know that that's great um cut them but let me put it this way don't get don't don't let pride puff you up into thinking that you better than other people no matter their color, creed, ethnicity, religion, or what have you, don't it's a, it's cool. Everybody should have self-confidence. All right, everybody should be confident in themselves. They should have high self-esteem. Um, you know, when we're talking about collectively as a race, but don't let that blow your head up into thinking you're better than somebody. All right, cause you're not. We're all human beings. We all have fallen short of perfection. Okay. Um but then it talks about another thing I wrote down cuss themselves off from white society is what they what um they said in the beginning what they was trying to do but by me watching that C-span video that Christopher Marshall shared with me and then reading some other stuff um I only came to know this this year but they was talking about how they had all this money and had all these businesses and, and you know, uh, you heard Malcolm passing, telling, you know, everybody put a dollar in the bucket and what have you at one of those street meetings or, or street events and what have you. Um, but according to some people and from some research, I did, um, They was getting a lot of their funding from a white billionaire who was a racist, who was a segregationist. His name was H.L. Hunt. Uh, Let me pull up H.L. Hunt right quick. But um, I had never heard this until people on Christopher's timeline shared that with me. And H.L. Hunt his name was Haroldson Lafayette Hunt Jr. He was known throughout his life as H.L. Hunt, was a Texas oil tacoon and Republican political activist. Uh, by trading poker winnings for oil rights, he ultimately secured title to much of the East Texas oil fields, one of the largest oil deposits. He was born in 1889 and he died in 1974. And he was a secret benefactor of the nation of Islam, meaning that he was he was giving them money. He was giving them money, lots of money, because they were preaching separation and segregation, and that aligned with with white supremacist goals of, of segregation and what have you. Um, and then you know, sadly, and again, you know. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Marcus Garvey, especially in the area of media. Since I work in media, you know, I kind of think it might have been guys plan that I go into the military in the communications department, learning all these different radio systems and what have you, and that equipped me to start the Black Talk Radio, um, the net, the network. Uh, let me see where where was I leave, leaving off? But Marcus Garvey had. Probably the largest black newspaper to ever exist. I mean, this—it wasn't just distributed in the United States; it was distributed all over the world, including Africa. Uh, the name of it was the Negro World, and Marcus Garvey, another gifted orator and what have you. Although I learned he, his speaking style, he learned it from a white Christian pastor. And by the way, Marcus Garvey was a black Christian unashamed to be a black christian um but anyway one of the things after the fbi had destroyed him or he was getting some pushback because of, he said some things that was wrong look you you take the good with the bad you set that aside which is incorrect and you accept those things that that are correct and try to emulate those things but I did not like him saying, because he wasn't born here in the United States, he didn't know uh, black American history, um, you know, like he like he should have before he came over here saying that the black man ain't build the railroad, so the black man shouldn't want to ride in the same car as white people. And it wasn't that they wanted to ride in the same car as white people, it's that they didn't want to ride in the cars with cattle and treat it like, you know, crap and not giving proper accommodations when they paying the same doggone ticket prices. But he said that. He he said that. And he started getting pushback from from uh, different uh, black leaders and what have you. But one of the things I discovered which really disappointed me was that he sought an alliance with the Klan too. And sought to get some help in, in obtaining land. And again, like I said, when you had all them black soldiers, veterans of World War I, uh, following you, obviously, ready to put their lives on the line, you're going to go to the Klan and try to make a deal with them not to attack your, you know, different branches in the South or wherever they were. I mean, man, bump that. You're supposed to secure your places and fight back and I don't care if you do get slaughtered or killed or what not at least you setting an example of, of of you know um that if you come for us it's going to be some of y'all that's going to die too that's the deterrent you don't go making no deals with no white supremacists and what have you not to attack you no what you do is you do some night rides of your own on their meetings and burn up their houses and stuff in the dark of the night. You do the same thing that they did to you. So, but anyway, that appears to be something that Garvey had in common with Elijah Muhammad. And that's very, very sad. That's very, very sad. Uh, Let me see. Another note about why I don't understand. Again, this is so, this film, it jumps all over the place, but Malcolm X and Elijah's fathers, I just learned that Elijah, I knew Malcolm X's father was a Christian preacher. I didn't know Elijah Muhammad's father was a Christian preacher and not not what, what some people do, use the derogatory term, handkerchief head or pork chop preacher or something like that. And, and certainly in every, every, I don't care what religion, what, whatever. Whether you're talking about secular organizations, you always going to have grifters. You're going to have people that's doing what they doing to get money. That's just throughout history. In every, I bet you can go to other countries and, and find similar problems and what have you. But their father's, were were known as what I would call a militant black preacher you know same way malcolm was, was talking about you know not turning the other cheek and what have you again not attacking dr king's nonviolent um tactics because he did what he did for a reason and and so, but both of their both of them came up in Christian households, but Malcolm's, I think um, both of their fathers died at an early age and what have you um, and and didn't really have a father in in the home during their formative years so that was something they had in common Um, let me see, what what time is it I still got 10 minutes Uh, let me see, Malcolm X went to prison at 20 years old and I just thought about again, how different things happen to people. And if that happened or didn't happen, how your life might've took a different path. But he went, when Malcolm went in at 20, where he was recruited into the NLI, while he was still in prison, he was being um uh, I went into the U.S. Army at 20. Um, talking about how the Nation of Islam gave Him structure and discipline, uh, which he did the same thing for me, but through the US Army. Not that I was some wild person out here. I mean, I did some stuff like, you know, like many teenagers do. Um, But I was working two jobs at the age of 17. You know, I had dropped out of high school, even though I had excellent grades and what have you. But I was going through an identity crisis, not black identity crisis. But I didn't know who my father was at that time. And so, you know, I wasn't getting the answers that I needed. And then school became boring for me. Um all I do is show up for tests and what have you and and will pass my grades, scored the second highest in s a t scores uh but instead of them putting me in advanced classes to challenge me um you know i was we had white supremacists in that predominantly white East gaston high school, and i was going going there, so I dropped out, I dropped out and got two jobs and then joined the military at 20. So I worked them two jobs for three years and then I joined the military. But it gave me structure and discipline that I didn't have before. And, and I learned a lot of skills. So, you know, there's more than one per, per place that you can get those sort of things from. Um, not that I'm telling anybody to join the U.S. military. In fact, I'm telling you to boycott them as long as they ref- uh, uh, are are acting like... Um, you know, the world's police and occupiers, imperialists out here stealing other resources, you know, because like I stated before, it was during the Gulf War that I came across Alex Haley's, um, you know, who authored, helped um, Malcolm X write his biography that I started to Questions. I came, started questioning other stuff, even uh, even my spirituality. Uh, um, but I had, I knew I had to get out the military and I got out uh, about three months after my tour of duty in the Gulf war was out. And that was cause Malcolm. That was cause of Malcolm. Um, let me see. Elijah treated Malcolm as a son. Elijah's sons were jealous. And as we heard in the film, you know, I guess I'll take their word for it. Um, Cause I haven't really studied it, never really cared to, but um, you know, his sons and his 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 fa- immediate family members being jealous of Malcolm and in knowing Malcolm, and I heard this from more than one person that Malcolm was really a holy person, a real and when I say holy, meaning a, a very honest person, a, a person who was very sincere in whatever he believed and not a grifter. And that if he'd have discovered how they was using the nation of Islam as their personal cash cows, as expressed by people in that documentary, that he put an end to it. Um, But, you know, I can understand, although I've never been in a situation or personally observed it, but I can understand if your biological father treats somebody that's not even his biological child and favors them over you and you thinking you're supposed to be the successor and all of that but you ain't got the skills you ain't got the talent of that other person but but here you feel like you entitled you know to take this over and so a lot of i imagine it was a lot of jealousy when malcolm started you know increasing the membership of the nation of islam within mohammed's um immediate family um You know, the filmmaker also talked about hypocrisy and um, talked about the person who confessed to his crime who later expressed remorse, but he's saying that those other two people weren't involved and there were some other people involved. That's in dispute, but that's, you know, for me, why I would like the the perpetrators um, to be proven without a doubt that were a part of this for historical posterity, so we will know, and there wouldn't be any questions about it. Um, you know, just taking note that this person expressed remorse. And again, when I was watching that C-SPAN video, I felt like Elijah Muhammad, um, in the '70s and whatnot, when he started becoming a recluse, that he also felt remorse, you know, for what had happened. I mean, er- I think everybody. I don't think anybody's perfect and I think we all have regrets whether we want to admit it or not I know I certainly do that if I had had to uh, opportunity to do over I wouldn't do certain things you know especially my womanizing when I was in the military I wouldn't have done that Uh, you know it's just um, so but you know people um, as they learn I guess as they grow older um, some people never grow wiser so I'm not going to use that phrase but um, you know people expressing remorse and this this person who confessed saying he was part of the plot to kill Malcolm um, expressing that remorse and then talking about how and this is true again it's true in the Christian church too that's why I left the last church I went to because the pastor was talking the talk but he wasn't walking the walk okay he wasn't walking the walk And it turned out to be, you know, that he was homosexual. And I don't believe in mistreating anyone and and what have you, Uh, because I don't participate in that lifestyle. I'm still going to treat you with respect and as a human being, you know, as any of the gay friends that I made uh, throughout my life will tell you that I never mistreated them or 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 treat I don't engage in the activities they engage in and or hung out with them like that but you know whether we was working together or we was in part of a same group activity and no you know I'm not going to mistreat nobody but this dude was putting up a front he ended up going to prison too um married to his wife and I remember me and his my brother uh, coming across, And I'm not sitting up here saying I was walking the perfect Christian life at the time. I was a young person. I was still partying. And me and my brother was out late one night, like 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we come across the pastor's wife with young men from the church. That late at night, that late at night, that's because she wasn't getting it what she was supposed to be at home because her husband was a homosexual. And both of them would later go to prison for embezzling. So, you know, um people can can try to say that only goes on in the church? No, it don't. Okay, crooked people are crooked people. So, um, you know, this guy was talking about these people when he went into prison and then the innocent men that he says is innocent. Again, some people are disputing that, but saying how his family was abandoned and we were supposed to be a family, you were supposed to be taken out, taken care of, you know, I didn't went to jail, I didn't went to prison, and and you ain't doing nothing for my family. You know? Um and that you could tell watching the video and seeing the dude's face, man, that was that was deeply hurtful to him. Um but again, Norman Butler's participation is in question. Now in that C SPAN video I can't remember the guy's name. It might have been John Ali. They might have mentioned. But they said in that C-SPAN, when the author was talking about his book, The um, Messenger, The Rise and Fall of Elijah Muhammad, was saying that one of the people who plotted it, he wasn't part of the shooting, but he met with the shooters hours prior to them going to the autobomb, saying how they had rented out the, the bomb, so they could get the floor plans and what have you and plan and escape routes and saying this guy met with the shooters ahead of time and then flew back to, I think they said either, um, flew back to Chicago, flew back to Chicago. But according to that author, he said that that guy was also working for the FBI. So the FBI is just as responsible, not just for listening in, on every call, 24-7, they had infiltrators in there. And that guy, according to that author of the book, The Messenger, um, who was a ringleader, if you will, of the assassination of Malcolm X, was working for the FBI. People talk about the NYPD. Well, same thing, the FBI and, the, and all these local police departments. And I learned this when I was doing political prisoner radio and studying up on many of the Black Panther Party, uh, but other, you know, formations that came after they were destroyed, like the Black Liberation Army and and, and, and what have you, but um, FBI was always working with the local police, working with them. So just like they work with them today, you know. So it, let's just say all three were involved in this. Um let me see. He talks about he talked about Malcolm's security, how he was able to get in because people knew him. Um but when I was uh watching the video or I was reading something. I I can't recall. I think it's in the video. It might be in the article I was reading earlier. Again, both the video and the article is in the program description and will be in every program description for um, this review of this film. But they were saying, they were basically calling Malcolm's security team cowards. That when these dudes start shooting, okay, um, that it was the women who rushed the stage, not caring if they got shot or what, what have you, and you know, tried to save Malcolm and said his security detail was hiding behind chairs and diving on the floor so they don't get shot. That's what he said. I I don't know how true it is. I guess we but I have seen the photographs. Um I can't, I'm not gonna try to pronounce the jack Japanese lady's name, her last name. But there was a Japanese woman from California who was there at the auto bomb that day, and there's photographs of her, you know, with Malcolm at Malcolm's side as he lay there dying. But I thought that was interesting that they that you know the author had had said you know how the cowardice that the men who were supposed to be part of his security details showed and the bravery of the of the black women. And that Japanese woman, um, Japanese American woman who who ran to um, Malcolm's defense, not caring if they got shot. Thought that was very, very interesting. Um, but again, noting all this talk about violence and the violence that was carried out all surrounding the NOI, Ain't never heard, and I it may just cause I ain't never heard it don't mean it didn't happen, but I have never heard or read or watched in any kind of film the NOI doing anything to white people. Okay, nothing, nothing, it's always been black on black violence. That's a damn shame, man. That's a damn shame. All this talk about violence and. You know, I, the last Million Man March they had, and I actually interviewed this brother from the Nation of Islam, who was very sincere, and kudos to that brother. I think he's in Tennessee. Um, but when Mal, when uh, Minister Faircon called for 10,000 soldiers to go into the black community to deal with this police violence and gang violence, to be, you know, like a buffer between the, between the violence, and the innocence in these black communities, they ain't never manifested except for the only person I know that even attempted to follow up on that was that brother I had interviewed who started a formation or started a service and it's been years since I talked to him Um, but the only people I know that actually was not afraid to use violence against white terrorists uh, was, again, the Black Guard here in North Carolina led by um, um, Robert F. Williamson, Williams, not Williamson, but Robert F. Williams, the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberation Army, the Deacons for Defense, the Black Christians who joined the U.S. military. You know, they're the only ones I know. They have actually picked up arms and were ready to use those arms and actually use those arms against white terrorism that's that's just a shame man that's that's and what i'm what I mean is overall when you're putting yourself out there being so militant and talking violent talk, but the only violence I see is against other people in the community that look like us that that says a lot to me. That says a lot. So, um, and then, you know, I'll leave it here. Well, hell, I'm almost through my notes. And it's 11.05, so I went a little over, but I'll go through it. But the FBI targeted Malcolm X early on. Um, Again, they was monitoring the Nation of Islam 24-7, and they were seeing the nation grow um, as Malcolm was going out there, being the excellent orator he was. Uh, preaching and yes, he was preaching, giving speeches, same difference, and and recruiting people. Because as the dude said, he was like the bull. He was like the person who stood up to the bully in the schoolyard and was unafraid to speak. And um, so, yeah, they they have been had his eye, their eye on Malcolm from very very early. I can believe that. Uh, let me see now I had wrote again the movie I mean the film was so disjointed but I already went over the NOI businesses that they mentioned but in this film and again we'll watch the rest um, if they'll bring it up but H.L. Hunt this billionaire white supremacist who who was giving them a lot of money Um, and Malcolm died broke Malcolm died broke because he wasn't in it for money his, fam- I heard his family, some of his daughters and stuff, and Betty Shabazz talk about how much they struggled after, you know, he was assassinated, and 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 um, so he he died broke, and um, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't die no rich man, he didn't have no millions of dollars, he wasn't living in no mansion or or nothing like that, driving around in big fancy cars and what have you, not that you know I have anything against people having nice things but you know we also um do have to worry about our appearance so um I thought that that was um interesting that he left that out and then uh FBI role author of the messenger says one of the lead plotters which I discussed earlier was an FBI informant so if you ain't had a chance to check out That uh, C SPAN video, it's less than an hour. Um, It may be an hour, but lots of information I had never heard before. And um, then that article where it's disputing whether or not Norman uh, Butler uh, participated. They say the uh, author of The Messenger says he was, and it's evidence that he was. And then, you know, you got the uh, guy who went to prison, the only one to confess to his role, saying they weren't. So. Um, Now, again, the district attorney that covers that area where Malcolm was murdered is opening up um, the reopening the investigation. And but we I've also heard from some people in that area said that he's been under fire lately for not practicing justice. And he's a terrible prosecutor and that he's only doing this to take the heat off himself. So I don't know. That's what I heard. So if he didn't announce that he's reopening the investigation, let's hope it's a real investigation and we get some answers to to some definitive answers to these questions. All right. So I want to thank um thank you for tuning in. Um if you think this information is uh constructive, please share it with others, um, the podcast. That is, um, and, um, you know, I will be back possibly tomorrow night, but I have to check uh, my schedule, so I may not. If not, let me see, Thursday night, I know I have open. What I'm trying to do is, well, I can just record it. Anyway, um, just keep a watch on the network um, to see when I schedule the next um, broadcast concerning Who Killed Malcolm X. So our next episode that we'll cover is episode... Three, with that said, please continue to support. And if you are not supporting, um, please support the non profit Black Talk Media Project. We are independent, um, black media network. Um, and we need we saw a need for not only black radio because the 1996 telecommunications act killed terrestrial black radio and so I felt that we should take advantage of new media technology and that's internet radio and you know we we always on somebody else's platform and when you're on somebody else's platform they can kick you off their platform and 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 for unfair reasons Okay. And so, you know, we are unabashedly about that truth and speaking our minds and speaking truth to power and also helping to elevate others' voices who have been uh, kicked off of other networks um, for no good reason. And so, you know, we have existed as a safe digital space for podcasters and digital radio hosts for. Twelve years, and even help others establish their their own platforms that's similar um, to Black Talk Radio Network. But again, um, we only exist because of those who fund it. And to be honest with you, of uh, the the thousands of people who listen to it, tens of thousands, I should say, every month, millions over the existence that we've been around. Because it's a global network; internet radio is global. I would say less than 1%, maybe even less than, than 0.05%, no, yeah, 0.05% has ever made a donation. And I mean, we got people that's giving a dollar a month and some who make a one-time donation of whatever amount, it's all appreciated. You gotta feed the roots if if you want us to continue to bear fruit. If you don't, the roots dry up, and then we you know wither away and then when we're no longer around you'll be like oh i wonder what happened well you didn't support it so we got to support um all independent institutions in our communities that's doing something positive with that said we're going to close it out um and we'll be back as um whenever i can Um, Check out what's tomorrow, Wednesday. Just check the network for any programming that's coming up by some of the other uh, hosts and podcasters. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe out here behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc.